I believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. Because in the name of Jesus, there is some understanding of his death, his burial, and his, his resurrection. I believe that there is power in the name of Jesus because I have seen men who I consider to be rough and rugged and rough around the edges who melted under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I have seen Jesus get a hold of of men, of, of fathers, and totally transform the whole dynamic of that family to be centered and focused around Jesus. But I can also tell you a heartbreaking and unfortunate reoccurring scenario that happens in many homes today. I have sat in the homes when the men of those homes, the fathers of those homes, have sat quietly while the wife or mother has taken charge in spiritual affairs. Now, I know that there are women, there are wives, there are mothers who are very capable of leading their homes in spiritual matters. I know this because I've seen it. But what happened to the time when when fathers would wear the spiritual coveralls in the home and lead it well under the name and power of Jesus? So today is Father's Day, and we honor those today who have led their families well and send a challenge. You know the scene, right? Mother's Day, we dote upon the mothers of how well they have done and how how great they are and how much they are a Proverbs 31 woman, right? And then Father's Day, you guys are lousy and lacking. You know the scene, right? At the end of the service today, if you are here with your father, your daddy is here with you today, he might not be. Many have gone on to be with the Lord, as well as mine. If you are here today, I'm going to ask you at the end of this service today to pray over your father at the very end of this service. Being a dad, I can tell you that we need what we need most in today's ravenous society that has set its fangs into biblical manhood is to draw near to Christ and prayer. We need to saturate our homes with prayer. Men, we need to saturate our homes with prayer to the King of Kings because there is a society that is, that is before us today that would like nothing more but to strip down biblical manhood in the home. Again, at the conclusion of today's time of worship, we'll be praying over our fathers. See, I believe, again, that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ to transform lives, to transform homes. And it is in this powerful name of Jesus that I will ask you to stand as we read God's Word. We Baptists, we like to stand and sit, don't we? But let's stand stand as we honor God's written word. Beginning at verse 18 of Mark's gospel, chapter 12, the sermon I have entitled, Resurrection Power. 
The Bible says, And the Sadducees came to him, Jesus, who said that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a, brother's, uh, a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Well, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when, when he died, no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and so forth and so on, until seven are left and no offspring at all. Last of all, the women also died. The woman also died. The question is, in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason that you are wrong? Because you neither know the Scripture nor the power of God. For when they arise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. But they are like the angels in heaven. And as the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Let me say that again. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask your blessing upon this word we have read this morning that you have preserved through the ages so we can learn of you, so we could worship you, and so we could serve you. So we know the power that that is in the resurrection power of Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. You may be seated. I've had some time to meditate over these verses this past week. And I would like to say on behalf of Pastor Jason and myself and, and, and Lloyd, thank you to the church for trusting us as Piney Grove messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention. We are grateful for your trust there, and uh, we hope and pray that we represented the Lord Jesus and the kingdom well. And I've had a lot of time to kind of meditate upon these verses this past week. And upon doing so, I cannot help but to think of all the saints of the Lord who have gone on to be with Jesus. My short time here at Piney Grove, I have counted from my time of serving as, the, as, at the, as pastor here until now, there are, on this board you see before you, there are 37 people who have gone on to be with the Lord since my time here that began in 2013. I cannot help but to think about those that have gone on to be with Jesus. See, I have stood in this pulpit or at the graveside and have spoken the words that the Lord Jesus would have me speak over a life and legacy. And as I reflected over those many words that I have spoken, as I reflect over those words, I am reminded of the ever fast, steadfast truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And one day, and it might be very soon, I will stand or I will fall shoulder to shoulder with many loved ones and worship the King of Kings. What a glorious reminder that is. 
The Bible tells me it is a multitude, like the sands of the sea, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do not stand and tell me, do not tell me that there is not power in the name of Jesus. Don't tell me there is no resurrection power. The Bible tells me in Revelation 7 verse 9, John the Revelator said this, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I think of those folks who have gone beyond this life, who are now worshiping Jesus, and it gives me hope. First, my hope is in Christ. Secondly, I know that one day we will worship and make the heavens ring. Today's sermon entitled Resurrection Power will reflect a bit on this this truth. See, Jesus is marching ever closer to his death. He is marching and cannot be swayed. He is drawing closer to Calvary. But he is also at the same time teaching, and he is making absolutely sure that the religious, self-righteous order of his day knows exactly his position on the law and the scriptures. And because Jesus is beginning to call out their hypocrisy, he's calling out their self-righteousness. He's calling out their ill-placed motives. And because of this, they began to advance the plot to kill him ever quickly. But the last weeks of the narrative of the parable of the tenants. In fact, we would say this is the parable of the barren tenants and what Jesus said to the Pharisees and scribes, saying, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things that are God's to to God. Jesus is now certainly drawing closer and nearer to the cross. We will find that the Sadducees begin to press him as well. The Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests, the Sanhedrin have all had their plots against Jesus. And now it is time for the Sadducees to enter into the scene. I submit to you that unbelief in the resurrection is sad, you see. That's how I differentiate the two. Pharisees believed in miracles. They believed in angels and the resurrection, as legalistic as they are. The Sadducees didn't believe in miracles or angels or the resurrection, and because of that, they are sad, you see. See, little is known about the Sadducees by way of Scripture. And what we are given, we are given some information from the Jewish historian Josephus and also a few Bible verses therein. In fact, this account is included one of those places where we learn something about the Sadducees. Thus far, we have had, uh, we have had the whole cabinet of religious leaders involved with the coming against Jesus. 
You've got different rabbinical schools that have spoken against Jesus, and now it is the Sadducees' turn. If we were to think about the Sadducees today, we would think liberal theology. They were the liberal theologians of the day. This group has left such a small imprint upon history that one only needs to be reminded that they are destroyed, this organization, the Sadducees, after 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. The Sadducees ceased to exist. This group of religious snobs and self-righteous church folk were the well-to-do and were considered to be liberal in theology. This meant, what did this mean? Well, it meant that they shunned any supernatural acts in the Bible. So these would be the kind of folks that would say that Adam and Eve are only symbolic. These would be the ones who would say Jonah and the whale did not exist. It was only just a uh, just allegory or symbolism. They would be the ones that would reject any supernatural means to God's will in the, in, in the world. They would reject all acts of supernatural and reduce it to legends or myths. And by the way, I just described to you liberal theology. These were the ones who would have... Uh, who would have shunned any supernatural acts. In fact, they were probably more political than they were religious. If history teaches us anything about the Sadducees, it would be this. And I say this in a loving way. The Sadducees teach us anything about, about nationality and about religion, it would teach us this. Never get too close to politics while trying to grow the kingdom of God. Christ is first. We are theologians first. We are Christ's church first and statesmen somewhere down the line. Listen, if, if, if this nation was gone tomorrow, Christ's church would still be standing. If this teaches us anything, it is serve Christ first. Now, I am glad that there are people who serve in the political realm, who are Christ's honors, and for them, we pray for them often because they need it. Never let the country become a flag or country-worshiping church. Love the country, yes, but love Jesus more. Can I get an amen? Love Jesus more. See, their theological stance was fervently against the teaching of angels and demons, as you find in the actual dilemma itself. It was against angels and demons and a resurrection of any kind. I want you to listen to this loaded dilemma. This is what they proposed to Jesus. The te- he says, teacher, Moses wrote for us, and if a man's brother dies, he and leaves a wife, but there's, there's no children, that that man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother to secure their lineage, to secure, secure their family name. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, no offspring. Second took a wife and died, no offspring. The third likewise, and on and on, until seven left no offspring. And at last, the woman also died. She passed away. And in the resurrection, when, the, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? The seven had her as a wife. Whose wife shall 
she be? Well, the easy answer to this, from just a strictly carnal way of thinking about it, it would be the first husband. It would be his wife, if, if that would be the case in, in heaven. Because the brother is there to secure that this lineage goes on. So in heaven, from a carnal perspective, it would be the, the first husband of the first marriage. But I want you to look at what Moses lays out. Moses lays out this aspect of the civil law in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 through 10. This is where this, uh, this law or the civil law is played out. This was to protect the lineage of the family and to preserve their name. And from a carnal or a spiritual aspect, it seemed as if the Sadducees have trapped Jesus. And we know better than that, don't we? From a spiritual panorama, we know otherwise. In fact, these Sadducees were so disconnected from the Word of God and His will that they, they did not realize the carnality of their question. Such is the danger of liberal theology. And what I mean by that is discrediting any supernatural acts in the Bible. If you discredit any supernatural acts in the Bible, you by default discredit the resurrection or attempt to discredit. They did not realize the own carnality of their, of their question. See, we often think this way as well. We tend to think when we arrive at heaven... We will be exactly like we are here. The problem when we think of heaven is that we think of heaven through Western eyes. Or we think of heaven through earthly eyes. We expect it to be exactly like it is here. Let me give you an example. And if you have said these things, no offense, it's not against you. Just hoping that we can think uh, in more heavenly terms as it is. I have heard people say, if you can't, Worship God down here and sing to God down here. How can we enjoy worship in heaven tomorrow? Have you ever heard anybody say that? If you can't sing to the Lord here, why, why are we going to sing to God when we get to heaven? The quick answer to this is we will not be like we are now. We will be in a glorified state, knowing things perfectly or better. And in fact, as we get close to Jesus, you, can't, you just won't be able to help yourself. You will be basking in the glory of Christ and you will not be able to do anything else but sing and worship unto Him. How about this one? Preacher, you always know that that's, something's coming. <laughs> if we can't get along down here, how are we going to do it up there? The answer is the same. We will be glorified and overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus. We will not care for these earthly carnal things down here, the things that harbor or feed into our preferences here. The only preference that we will have will be that we worship Christ forever. That will be our all-consuming preference, if you will, when we get face-to-face -face with King Jesus. It will be overwhelming in the presence of our Lord. And I submit to you the same way that those questions are posed is the same spirit that they are formed today. It is formed with carnal eyes. See, people 
say those things, and they often think that they are saying something super spiritual. Preacher, if we all can't get along down here... (laughs) That's my worst accent, by the way. How are we going to get along up there? And I get it. I understand. I know that there is a call for unity, and there is a call for unity. But when we get in, the, in heaven, in the presence of Jesus, everything changes. And I submit to you, when you get in the presence of Jesus today, things change. Everything changes. At the heart of the matter was the question of the resurrection. And they are pushing the issue to hear Jesus' response, his teaching on the resurrection. And Jesus already knew that they were against the resurrection and angels because he'll respond in that way. See, the cornerstone of our faith is Jesus risen. So you might say, well, what is the point of application? Yes, I, I, I know what you're saying, that we are totally transformed. We are changed when we leave this life into the next. But as a point of application and proclamation for you today, church, I ask you a simple question. Has Jesus risen? And if he is risen, then we wait for his return. We speak the gospel as much as we can. And we let folks know that his coming is imminent. I want you to listen how Jesus responds. Friends and co-heirs in Christ, we know that Jesus is the God of the living. He is the God of the living for those that abide in Jesus. He is the God of the living. And if we believe this truth, church, it is time for us to wake up. It is time for us to shake this community and the world with the unchangeable truth that Jesus saves. If we only knew the displeasure that our Lord has for us hoarding the gospel unto ourselves, if we only knew this displeasure, we would be shaking the hinges off our neighbor's door trying to share with them the good news afresh. Listen to what Jesus says here. Is this not the reason that you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scripture nor the power of God. Now, most liberal theologians today, they're not invested. They're not vested in the power of the words that they read. They're not not invested in the power of of, of God's Word. And so Jesus identifies two problems, and they still exist today. Two problems that he identifies, and they still exist today. In many churches today, it is biblical illiteracy, number one. They do not know the Word of God, nor can navigate through God's Word. You want the answers to life? Don't watch CNN. Please don't. Don't watch CNBC. Don't. You want to find the answers of life? You navigate through what God has said. So, biblical illiteracy and doubt. I wonder what would really happen if Martin County, if farm life, erupted in revival. God, we pray for a revival often, don't we? Lord, bring revival. Bring someone to faith. 
You know what would happen <laughs> next Sunday morning? Let's say, well, it could happen this Sunday. The altar is filled and people are crying out to God. People are being saved. People are being transformed. Our neighbors are coming to church. We would stand back and wonder, how did this come to pass? How did all this happen? Is this really happening? I tell you that there, are, there is a toxicity to doubt in many churches today that is mind-blowing. If people get excited about Jesus like they do other things in life, I got to tell you, this world be, would be forever changed. Think about it. If God is moving in a church, we should be overjoyed and excited. If we see that someone has come to faith in Christ, we should be overjoyed. In fact, you shouldn't be able to Shut us up about celebrating what God has done. Maybe we don't believe in the power of God as much as we like to think that we do. Now, don't, don't hear me saying that not to get excited about things in life, because I think we ought to, and there's things that we get excited about in life. But when was the last time you got revived while thinking about the grace of Jesus and the power of God to wash sinners clean. I think of my uncle many times. How God has changed his life. I think of others right here in this body where God has changed the power of God to transform a person's life is something worth celebrating. Verse 25, for when they rise from the dead, now Jesus is speaking about the resurrection, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, so here's the biblical illiteracy, in the passage about the burning bush, the bush that spoke to God, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Well, see, when we all get to heaven, there's no husband, there's no wife, there's no sons, there's no daughters, as it is in the family dynamic as we know it here. There is Christ, and there is his church. Of course, you have the angelic host that would be, hopefully, as the Bible describes in Isaiah 6, worshiping God as well. But as far as from a human aspect, it will be Christ and His church. People in heaven will be like the angels in this regard, in, in aspect to connections and to relations. The angels in heaven are in constant adoration to the worship of God. And in this way, we are like the angels. See, Jesus mentions two things that the Sadducees were against. The resurrection and angels. He made sure that they knew that he believed in both of them. And of course, him being the word in flesh, God in flesh, he obviously knew. But many of us might wonder if their husbands or their wives or their children will continue to be so in heaven. But the reality of it is it is so much more beautiful than that. So my father is in heaven based on his proclamation in Jesus. 
when I get to heaven, he will be a brother in Christ. We will all be in the family of God. We will all be in the family of God in Christ Jesus. Think of it like this. We will be all in one big family of God and this relationship that we have here on earth will be different when we get to heaven. Now, will I know my father? Yes, I will know him. You will know your loved ones. But the Lord Jesus gives them a lesson on the righteous who have passed away. We think of our loved ones who have passed away as as Jesus says, they are dead, right? And according to what we observe in the natural body, they are no longer alive, they are no longer in existence down here. They are no longer alive. But what Jesus is saying is so helpful for you today and for me today. What is he saying about your loved one who is in Jesus, who is not with us anymore? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And those who have passed away, your loved one right now, who has passed away in Christ, in the Lord Jesus, they are more alive now than they ever were. And this is the word that Jesus is giving. They, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then this he says, that you are quite wrong. Listen, church, the God we serve sent his son to die on an old rugged cross, but he is not dead. He is alive. The Jesus we serve is alive. And the living word of God every day of our life is close to his people. I submit to you, even those on the board that have gone on and others that I've never met in my life. If they're in Christ, they are truly abiding in him now. They are more alive than you and I are today. Alistair Begg once stated this. He said, in the scriptures we meet Christ, who is the very living word of God. And if I were to put one statement on this narrative today, if I was to, let's say, put this, what we've learned about the, this, uh, this dilemma if I was to say one thing about the resurrection, if I was to say one thing about the, what happens with the Sadducees and Jesus in this episode, these harsh attacks, it would be this. God is a faithful God, and He fulfills His promises. The Bible tells me in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, I think about the times when I have shared this this verse around uh, in, from the pulpit or around a gravesite of one who has gone on to be with the Lord and the hope that we have of Christ returning again. The Bible tells us, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so will we always be with the Lord. See, Jesus he began to dismantle their one-sided, ill-placed dilemma with spiritual and eternal truth. And that is that God is the God of the living. If anything, I hope this message gives you hope and resolve in the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus. Listen, I think of my time here ministering at Piney Grove. 
and the saints of the Lord who have gone on to be with the Lord Jesus. And I cannot think to help, I cannot help to think one day I'm going to kneel at the feet of Jesus and worship alongside of people like Mr. Eddie Edwards who's gone on to be with the Lord and Frankie Robinson. I think about those folks. And to think of the hallelujahs that will be offered to Jesus by Hannah and Ben Tucker and, and how we will sing a new song with a boisterous praise to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to folks like Mr. Bruce Sr. I think of how the praises will ring when we sing to King Jesus next to Ruby Revels and Kay and Patricia Pittman and how Nan and Russell Robertson must be paying homage to the eternal King of Kings and Lord of Lords and worship the only name worthy of praise and how Miss Betty Winslow, Mildred, and Margaret Hardison are making the heavens ring with reverberating worship to Jesus. And how Miss Caro and Jimmy Coltrane, Vera Harrington, Tupper Perry, Mr. Joe are praising the King of Kings. It makes me a little jealous down here. I hope you know that. To ponder the awesome thought of how Laura, uh, Laura Lilly and Mr. NR, Mr. Wilford Griffin and, and, and Doug, Mr. Doug Warren are praising Jesus is mind blowing to me. The wonder begins to set in of how Miss Josephine Manning is praising the Jesus that she served who also sent us out to be ambassadors to the nations. I am beside myself in wonder when I think of the heavenly sound of worship that would come from one Miss Mary Claudia or Ron Taylor. Ron, beloved Ron, man. Oh, singing praises to Jesus. Miss Ola Gray Pill, Kenneth Perry, and Miss Shirley Ward as she sings to her king who is ever present before them. I almost am a lost in my thought when I think of Mr. Billy Peel praising Jesus alongside of Michael Lilly and Dale Lilly. I think of Dale Lilly, how he was soft-spoken down here, but he's not anymore. He's not anymore. Mr. Dale Lilly and Miss Wilma Elliott praising the Lord Jesus and scores of other ones who have gone on to be with the Lord. This being Father's Day, I think of my own father praising King Jesus at his funeral. We sang, I can only imagine. And now he knows. Now he knows. Will I stand or will I fall? Scores of other ones who have gone on to be with King Jesus, who worship the King of Kings, who is alive and alive forevermore. He is the resurrected Lord and the God of the living. Would you give him praise today? Let's give him praise. And so now you see there's a reason the others that I have not met on, and others who have gone on to be with the Lord. I brought this board out as a reminder that we serve a God who is not the God of the dead but of the living. So I challenge you today, as you leave, you may have looked at this board a hundred times going by. As you leave today, just come by and glance at these names who has a greater freedom than we have today. 
because they have seen their treasure face to face. Who is King Jesus? I'll ask you if you will, would you pray with me?